Welcome to Coffee and Therapy, where we spill the tea on therapy-related topics, sip our favorite coffee, and share our expertise with parents, professionals, clinicians, and anyone who could benefit from a little therapy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Coffee and Therapy. I'm going to do the same thing we did last intro of my name is Alyssa. It is nice to have you all here. And I'll pass it over to Noah. Hey, Noah here. Happy whatever day it is you're listening to us. We're excited to be back. Hey, Sarah, you're up, girl. <laughs> hey, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> It's Sarah. Welcome back to another thrilling and engaging episode of Coffee and Therapy with your favorite mental health therapist of all varieties and flavors. (laughs) (laughs) And last but not least. Yes, it's Courtney. Sarah, I was going to say what you said. So that was a perfect segue into introducing. Darn it, Sarah. Why are you stealing people's thunder? I'm so uh, sorry. You want to read Sarah's it? on fire today. Fire. I'll be muted fire. for much of this podcast. <laughs> FYI, guys. I'm, I'm in rare form. I love it. We love when Sarah comes in with hot energy. Those are the yes. hot takes everybody needs. And where you left off with us last time was taking the black and white thinking kind of out of therapy and we really focused more on behaviorism and ABA and some of the perceptions around that. And we didn't have the time to get to music therapy, which is what myself and Noah are. And it's kind of the origins of this podcast. So Mm -hmm. today we're going to be talking, yep, all about what music therapy is and what it is not. Um, Mm -hmm. Because those things get discombobulated quite often. Um, So... Noah, if you want to take it away first, because I always talk all the time, so I'm going to pass the baton to Noah, and I would love to hear what her explanation of music therapy is, because we all have a different elevator pitch. Oh, man. I'd like to hear you do it in song form, please, if you don't mind. Oh, man. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yes, kidding, let's I improvise. Actually. I probably shouldn't have even put you on the spot. Oh, okay. So, listeners, Alyssa has her guitar out. It is a black guitar with a I gotta tune it real quick <laughs> she's gonna tune it out that's good that buys me that buys me a minute I can probably start just saying it and then once Alyssa gets a nice little rhythm a little chord progression going we can plug some things in but what is my elevator pitch for music therapy oh I think therapy is a tough thing to fit into an explanation that sounds like a cop-out but I say that because my experience with music therapy leads me to say that how I define it depends on a lot of different things. It depends on where I am. depends on what I'm doing. It depends on who I'm with. If I think about the work that I'm doing right now, right now I am doing sort of half and half. I'm working in preschool through grade 12 special education programs in public schools. And I'm also working at my clinic Spectrum Creative Arts in Rochester, New York, where we specialize in inclusive and accessible programming for the community. So folks come to us as an elective 
arts experience. It means that they choose to come to us for recreation and for leisure. There's, of course, that therapeutic component if that's what someone is looking for. But it's, it's two very different settings. So when I'm thinking about me as the school-based music therapist, my role there is to work with people, work with students, work with educational teams, and use music as a tool for developing skills. It's a very skills-based setting to empower my students to really be able to navigate their school environment as independently as possible. I was just talking with someone about this today, and I think in any sort of data-driven setting, we can get stuck in this rigid space where therapy has to almost have this robotic feel. And I hate that. I really, really hate that. I hate when it is about things that are either nuanced in a way that don't really have real life applications or significance, or that someone else other than my student has determined is meaningful for them. So in those situations, when I'm working in schools, I'm all about working with my student to have them drive what we do together. And you might be thinking, if you're working in a special education program, do you have some students who maybe aren't able to communicate that to you? Sure. In a traditional sense, that might be really challenging for them. But it's my job as a human first and as a therapist second to really connect with them in a way where we don't need words. We don't need traditional communication to be able to identify what is meaningful to you as a human being. So maybe for that person, like I had a meeting today for a five-year-old kiddo where I said, hey, I'm looking at last year's IEP and there was this goal about something about, you know, a five beat rhythm. I don't, I don't know. And I'm thinking like, how the heck does that serve them in their real life beyond music therapy that is so specific? What we're going to work on, guys, is we're going to work on this kiddo being able to tell us what they want, what they need, how they feel, because those are fundamental human rights, right? So when I, <laughs> I unmuted to chime in also because that is what music therapy is not right there yes, right it is not anytime the goal is music that's not music therapy because music is the modality but if the goal is a musical one that's music education or that's music for recreation and there's validity and awesomeness in that but yes. the fact that that was the goal I'm like Err. and yeah. I I do that too right in my yeah. in my clinic community based sense I'm absolutely teaching adaptive lessons so I am teaching voice guitar piano percussion for learners who learn things differently than traditional learners might right yeah. I'm still I'm still a music therapist I am still Noah in every single freaking thing I do but when I'm working with that person they've come to me because they say this is what's meaningful to me and I say okay I have the skills to be able to guide you along this journey. Let's do it. Absolutely. But in schools, in that data-driven environment, we forget that still just equipping people with skills to live, live the best, most authentic life they can is still absolutely within our scope of practice. So for that kiddo, when I said that to those parents, they said, 
exactly sounds great and i said cool Mm -hmm. glad i'm glad we're on the same page right so school-based music therapy just again because i'm speaking from my experience it is skill-based but it is always about what is meaningful to that person that is the underlying theme in every part of my work as a therapist in my clinical work at at this at the clinic in that community-based setting I'm using music in a very flexible way. The students that I have there, I have some piano students. I have some voice students. I have just some like general music exploration students. And all of these guys in particular come to me to work with me and to work with a music therapist because music is their passion. They need someone who gets that and also gets that their brain processes in a very different way than perhaps some music educators with traditional training are feel equipped to be able to support and feel equipped to be able to identify where do I take this next? Where do where do we go from here? So music therapy music therapy is is first being a musician first and a half being a clinician, right? I don't want to like rank one above the other, but it really is that hybrid of like being a highly trained and highly skilled musician and then being a highly trained and highly skilled therapist and taking those two pieces together, those two modalities and saying, how do they creatively fit together? And still that same question that a therapist would ask, which is, how do I support you? Where do we go together? How do we create this experience together? Yes. And I think that component's critical because I even got invited to speak on like music therapy and someone was like, oh, well, I use music therapy for my own mental health, just like listening to music. And I'm like, that's great. Listening to music for a therapeutic experience to support yourself and support your wellness is awesome and wonderful. It is not music therapy because it has to be that relationship and connection. Just like we say quite often on here, Tic-tac is not a replacement for a therapist. Tic-tac. I don't know why that got so Midwestern. Tic-tac. Tic-tac. <laughs> Tic-tac. Yeah. Gosh, I've lived here too long. Um, is not replacement for a therapist. Listening to music is not a replacement for the connection and the modality of music therapy with a clinician. And I think some important things Noah brought up, too, is this distinguishment. I love to invent new words on this podcast, y'all. I really do. <laughs> this distinguishing between what's music therapy and what's music education and music therapists absolutely are uniquely qualified to support access to traditional music instruction in a way that maybe traditionally educated music educators are not. But I think the main difference between music therapy and music ed too, and this was something I've been toying with and thinking of over the last few weeks, because we also at Dynamic Links provide school-based services. And what is that difference, right? I'm not coming in here for special music education, for accessible music education. I'm coming in here to work on therapeutic skills through music together. And something that it's akin to in my brain, and this is kind of a nuanced analogy, but there's doctors and nurses in the medical setting. And a doctor's duty is to get to the diagnosis, right? The focus is on the medicine and solving the problem. And typically a nurse's duty is to care for the human in front of them, right? To support the human for access to the medicine. And a doctor's job is to support 
medicine accessing the human. I think that's a main difference between a music educator and a music therapist as well. When I'm coming in as a music therapist, I'm supporting the human's access to what I'm providing. Whereas a teacher's role is to provide access of the information to all the students in the room. Now, I'm not saying that therapists don't do both. I, of course, need to provide access to the information I'm providing. But first and foremost, I'm thinking about how do I access and provide the opportunity for this person to reach the goals that I want to work on versus how do I differentiate my instruction to give access of this information to each person. Um, and I think great teachers do the things therapists do. And I think great therapists do the mm-hmm. things great teachers yes, do. Yes, I, well. I think that's the ticket there. Yeah. And I have degrees yeah. in both therapy and education. So I think I'm often overlapping these two. But as I tell my team, you have to come in with your therapy hat on. Of I'm bringing this to the table and why, right? Maybe we're playing drums and what it looks like to the outside observer is you're playing rhythm patterns and you're doing this five beat rhythm sequence. No, 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 no. That's not my therapy hat goal. My goal is, are we decision-making problem solving? Are we autonomously self-monitoring and self-managing ourselves while we're playing these instruments? How are we interacting and collaborating with the group in that experience? Are we building levels of engagement? Are we building the social interaction from an authentic place? It's really how the therapist is thinking about it and providing those supports in the moment that differentiate it. And music across the board is wonderful. So I truly don't care how people access music. If it brings them joy and they're accessing it and they have Mm -hmm. the right person in their corner, that's great. But what makes it music therapy is that person who's going, oh, this is the window into this moment and this skill and this opportunity for growth and advancement. And here's how I break in through this medium that is music. And I want to add a third layer to what Noah said too of its music and clinical skills. And then I'm a neurologic music therapist. So in addition to that, it's the scientific logic of neural development and the brain-body connection. And how is what I'm using musically and therapeutically being supported by the brain-body connection and these neural pathways? And that's a very NMT perspective, but that's the cool thing about music therapy much like psychotherapy, we have different clinical approaches to our work across the board, which can benefit different populations and human beings. And I think, Alyssa, something maybe that would be helpful for anyone who's listening to really understand about the perspectives that you and I are bringing to this is we specifically specialize and or tend to work with folks who identify as neurodivergent in a more colloquial vocabulary that might be known to more folks as intellectually or developmentally disabled. Yes. The verbiage and the terminology is constantly changing. What we're hearing and what Alyssa can definitely speak to more because she has been on podcasts speaking about this as well, is that the emerging voices in populations that identify as neurodivergent, particularly people that identify as autistic, are saying, I prefer identity-affirming language as opposed to person-first. So identity-affirming saying, I'm an autistic person, identity is autistic-affirming, as opposed to, I am a person with autism, person is first autism comes second. So when we when we talk on this podcast, you might hear me and Alyssa really kind of using that identity affirming language because again, in our roles as therapists and in the populations that we tend to work, that is the verbiage that the folks that we are there to support have told us that 
that they feel most comfortable hearing and using and feeling. So of course, our role is really to take that, that, that acceptance and that support as far as we possibly can. So I'm sure Sarah in particular has some questions because I know Sarah coming, <laughs> coming into this, you're like, I, I really don't, I don't yeah. know about music therapy. So I don't. Alyssa and I are like very deep in the music therapy vortex. So please oh, yeah. ground us back in the reality and Courtney, you too. Like, what are what are some of those questions that folks listening might be like? I've I've got this question about music therapy. What what are they? Hearing so I think the most basic question that I have right now that that has been sort of rolling through my it's fun you like read my mind because it was really rolling through my head right now as you were talking, and I and I don't know I was trying to think like is this a question that I could answer briefly and succinctly and and I think I could so I I'm hoping that you guys can but I'm wondering if maybe it would be helpful or possible for you to give an example of a goal that you might have with an individual and what tools or skills, like how you would address that. What would music therapy look like in addressing this one basic simple goal? Um, is that something that's an e you're both like giving me a weird smile. So no, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> is that is an easy question to answer or did I just like set I'm sure Noah's thinking episode? what I'm thinking as far as it's super easy to answer because we do it all the time, but it's hard because, and I'm doing like a series on our Instagram right now and dynamically Instagram of what music therapy can look like because it's so client focused and like group focused and what those goal areas are that my answer is going to be really different from Noah's, but we do serve very similar clinical populations. So maybe we do. Not. We do. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm thinking for example, <laughs> like if somebody comes into my office and they are managing symptoms of anxiety, like one of the things that we could work on based on the cognitive behavioral therapy, like viewpoint might be, you know, identifying and and applying certain coping mechanisms to their life in the moments when they're having an anxiety attack yes. for example so like you know yes. a breathing exercise or something so that's something yep. super basic right it's not going to work for everybody sure. it's not a magic bullet but oh might Alyssa and I both in. have oh we, we've got tons to say already oh, we can, we've got we can tons plug to into say. that we can play it we can plug yeah. into that specific client scenario Alyssa go first. yes I'm gonna plug into that specific client scenario so <laughs> in the instance that Sarah's asking right and this is actually a, a domain area I work a ton in because I work with a lot of autistic clients so using that identity first and identity affirming language um, who struggle with dysregulation and sensory needs. And then also there's a high comorbidity rate of anxiety and autism because a lot of these individuals aren't getting those mental health needs met. So one of the philosophies of neurologic music therapy, but I'd also say music therapy in general, different paths up to the same hill, is that we are using non-musical activities and the musical counterpoint toward counterpart to those counterpoint in music to reach the goal. So for example, you're saying your goal is to work on coping skills. That would also be my goal area is how can you independently access those coping skills in the moment to support yourself? My skill is just going to be based through music. So for doing, for example, a song I did today, I've got my guitar. This is an original song. So you can't have copyright infringement. Anyone we do a rainbow breathing exercise. So you reach your arms up like a rainbow and then you reach them down like a rainbow. 
And you breathe like a rainbow. Breathe in and out. Breathe like a rainbow. Breathe in and out. Sarah got it. She's following along with it. So I'm using the musical elements to support the functional goal that's in front of us. So we're just approaching it through the modality of music and you could hear and you knew exactly what to do. I didn't have to give you any directions. When I strum lower on my guitar, I go high to low to support diaphragmatic breathing low in the body and then blow it out with some force. I'm using the musical elements to cue the desired behavior or goal that I'm trying to facilitate in the moment. So then we're able to add that to the toolkit. And are you likely to remember that, Sarah, now that you've heard it even just yeah. once? Yes. You know what is interesting because now here's another question. Uh-huh. Not, not to derail this whole thing. And Noah's got her instrument as well. She's I ready. Know. I know. Ready. And of course you picked the song in D. My song's in D too. So I'm thinking of like um, when we were learning the names of the states in 50, elementary school. United States from the 13th. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Original <laughs> colonies. So would that be considered like a music therapy-ish yes. technique? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It, it, it's a mnemonic. Yeah. Cool. I'm done. It's a musical mnemonic device. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to add you that. You got it. My, uh, Add that to my psychology today profile. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw in one more before Noah shares hers too. Do it. So for example, it's also in D because that's my favorite key to play in. And it'll also keep you all grounded listening. I use a musical mnemonic to teach. So a totally different skill set that might fall into what people typically think of the category of occupational therapy of shoe tying. So I have a musical mnemonic to memorize the steps of shoe tying. Over, under, and then they repeat it. Over, under, pull it tight. Oh, this should not be in D. This is going to be so high. Two bunny ears that look just right around the tree and through the hole. Pull it tight and make a bow. And they like repeat it and it's the steps. And we're using that musical mnemonic device to get it stuck in our head. We're using gestalt principles to really entrain it and encode it in memory so it's easily accessible for future retrieval. And don't even get me started on gestalt processes for communication because I can go on about that. Um, but yes, it's absolutely music therapy technique. I'll let mm -hmm. Noah take it away. She's mm -hmm. ready. She's I'm ready. Back. I'm ready. Well, Sarah, when you talked about the anxiety piece, that is a huge part of the work that I do. And like Alyssa, I'm thinking particularly of some of my students who identify as autistic, in particular one who I've been working with for many years. I worked with this person when they were in school. And when they graduated from school, they followed me to, to continue our relationship in the community. So I've been with this person now for probably seven years. Um, pretty, pretty cool thing to have, have a relationship that's lasted that long. But for this particular individual who is home and um, kind of bounces back and forth between being home and being in a group home and having some respite time there and going out in the community. A big thing that's really meaningful for this person is developing just some of those functional coping skills for that anxiety that's, that's just a part of who they are. 
So a song that we wrote together years ago that we revisit from time to time, that we we change the some of the parts of the song depending on sort of what's going on in that person's life, but the refrain is really the same, is about taking a deep breath. So again, in the key of D, like Alyssa. So, <clears throat> so many things I want to do. So many things to share with you, but first, let's take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath, and then we'll kind of dive into some different scenarios, and then we just we come to that. But first, take a deep breath. So the mnemonic part of that is like the but first. We always know we come back to that. And again, excuse my pitchiness. Um, it was so for, beautiful. <laughs> what's that? Oh my gosh. So for the anxiety, that that's kind of what came to mind for me. Then for the mnemonic side of it, a lot of what I find myself coming back to is something called a social story, which was um, trademarked in the early 90s by a woman named Carol Gray, who was a special educator. And when she was working with her students, she really wanted to find a way to take social concepts that are incredibly abstract for some of our concrete thinking friends and make them accessible, right? So these social, these, these nuanced social things like greetings and handshakes, right? All of these things that maybe for some of us, we think, oh, I haven't really given that much thought. But for so many of the, of the folks that Alyssa and I tend to serve, that's that's a skill that is a set of really specific steps that these folks learn in a very intentional way. So by creating a sort of story out of it, we're setting these these steps, these really accessible, clear step by step by step ways of learning a new skill. So when I was an intern many moons ago, my internship director said, I want you to take a look at this group that you're working with and figure, just identify what is something that they're all working toward and create a social song about that. So I kind of took a look around the room. I observed for a few weeks and I was like, you know what? Personal space, (laughs) personal space. That's so hard to quantify. And this is a song I wrote then that I still use now. So the example of how it's a social story is it's pretty much something that we might explain in in colloquial terms in a very first you do this, then you do this. But when we put it to music and we add a catchy hook or a catchy refrain or a chord progression, that's what really has that mnemonic component to it and takes it to that next level. So um, I think this was also in D. It's easy to stand a little too close when you talk to someone you know. You might realize that you're too close if you're stepping on their toes. They need some personal space. Personal space, just take a few steps back. The steps are in the chorus. Personal space, personal space, we all need it. That's a fact. Uh Personal space, personal space, when you've got something to say. Personal space, personal space, tomorrow and today. So it's like cheesy from a a theory perspective. It's one, four, five chords. But 
the whole point is you're creating something really catchy. Personal space, just take a few steps back. The recipe is in the song. So we find that when we just use verbal language to communicate something, there's a very specific part of our brain that Alyssa can speak to as a neurologic music therapist, which is an additional training after you become a board certified music therapist you can pursue. There's a certain part of the brain that processes verbal language, and then all the parts of the brain light up when there's music involved. So when we just add that musical component and we know how earworms work, right, how our brain and how our bodies naturally like latch onto song forms, we can really manipulate all of those characteristics to really help with that skill development and sort of speed along the process while also making it more accessible. Yes, not vigorously. <laughs> very long-winded explanations to all of that. Do you feel like that just like gives you a, a yes. taste at least? Oh my gosh, yes. Because I'm thinking to myself now, like I am going to be singing that song. Personal it's super space. easy. Personal it's catchy. Space. It's fun. It's energy. And like, I will remember that. And I think that it's so, I, you know, coming into this and we've talked like Noah and I have known each other for a very long time. Like we've talked very basically about like music therapy and the different, yeah. you know, different things about it. And I'm a little embarrassed about how much I really don't know about how it applies in nothing to be embarrassed about. No. Nope. Well, but yeah. you know, I, I feel like I really had very less of a clue than I really even thought I did. And so hearing it's like, Oh, yeah. oh, this makes perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. And awesome. it's I'm glad to hear that. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I was going to say happening in the chat too that people can't see is everyone's like, we should talk about how we all work on the same goal areas too and how we address them differently. And I think that's a common misconception that comes yeah. up too. Because as Noah's playing it, someone's going, well, then how's that different than a social story? But Noah then hit the nail on the head that the main thing is, we're building that engagement. We're lighting up the whole brain. We're using music as a pleasure center elicitor to really teach the skill quicker, more quickly, speed up those neural pathways, whether you're relearning or learning a new skill. And same for, yes, Noah and I both really focus in pediatric therapy, but same for adults. Now, Noah wouldn't make the personal space song, but because we're trained to musically support the skills we're trying to teach or the skills we're trying to facilitate, we can make it appropriate to a wide range of clientele. So mm -hmm. if it's an adult just struggling with mental health needs who isn't disabled and doesn't have additional cognitive needs or sensory needs, but they just really need to process through these things, we can also do that through music. Through these original songs, through recreating preferred songs, we do a lot of processing through uh, lyric rewriting. I had a client who rewrote the lyrics to 21 Guns by Green Day, so I won't because that's copyrighted play that, but it was about you know everything that's happening with Russia and Ukraine right now to date this podcast. But he came on our session and was just really verklempt to have a better word for it and overwhelmed by all these feelings inside mm -hmm. him. And we were able to recreate and change those words to process through those emotions. So it can look so different for everyone as well. But the reason why this modality is different but overlaps with others, it doesn't make it less. I think it makes it more because it's lighting up more pathways. And it's really contingent on the human. If music mm -hmm. is their passion and their pathway of connection, then we are able to access that 
and work on all these skills, you know? And I think the limitation of the podcast too, Alyssa, is like, I could totally see how someone listening to this podcast is like, oh, okay. So like, great. That song makes sense. It's catchy. Like Sarah said, I'm going to be thinking about it. And like, that's what music therapy is. It's like you sing this song to somebody. I, if you know me at all as a music therapist, I hate, I cringe. I have a lot to say about music therapy that happens to someone. Therapy of any kind should not happen to you. It happens with you. I am never just going to sing a song at you. Ever. That personal space song looks different in every single environment that I bring it into. If I'm in a group, I've got hula hoops. I've got poly spots on the floor. And we are creating some visual, tactile, kinesthetic markers for understanding what personal space looks like. And we're explore- we're actively exploring that space. It looks like we're swimming. looks like we're just like rocking out in a bubble. It is an active, engaging experience. If it's one-to-one, I might be getting a sense of like, how comfortable is this person with me like being in their space? We might even say, hey, maybe even in the song, I might build into it like, I'm coming over, I'm walking over, I'm taking a step toward you. I wonder how this makes us feel. Let's wait and breathe and tell me what you think, right? Like, again, I'm, I'm making that up, but right, it's, it's always going to look different because it is always about the client, the student, whatever you call that person that you are working with. It's always about like what is going to be most meaningful for them. So if, if a music therapist is like singing at someone, now that's not to say that for some people, receptive listening is not valuable because it is. For some people, that is absolutely why they're in a therapeutic experience, right? Maybe if they're in a traditional talk therapy setting, being with a therapist who like provides that smile and nod, right? Maybe that's, that's kind of the equivalent, right? Where there isn't like a dialogue, but it's just like, I have a space to do whatever I, it is I need to do. Maybe for that individual that I'm, I'm thinking of for music therapists, being able to just provide a receptive listening experience is therapeutic. And even within some of these sessions, Alyssa, I'm sure you have some students, as do I, where when they get to a certain part of the session, especially if there's someone like a lot of my students who like to create their agenda, they like to see what they're going to do that day because that helps them to manage their anxiety. When they get to, you know, maybe it's somebody's choice or for one of my students, whenever we get to the chimes, the student has a plethora of instruments at their house. Whenever we get to chimes in the agenda, that is their indicator for like, I get to choose the song and I get to just like jam out on the chimes while Noah does like my song du jour, right? Which lately for this particular student has been Take Me Home Country Roads by John Denver. And as I'm sort of singing through it and I'm playing, I'm thinking like, oh gosh, like who am I to think that my voice is just like so wonderfully therapeutic? Like how narcissistic in this dynamic. But for this person, it's not about my voice. It's about me as a human. They're like, oh, this is something I'm doing with you, Noah. Yes. And I'm like, and it's oh, that okay. music centered yeah. connection too. Yep. And there's those beautiful moments in therapy, in music therapy, where yes, we're working so much to build these skills, but also just these moments of connection and organic creation between client and therapist in the mm-hmm. music. So mm-hmm. you kind of get this beautiful scope of 
hardcore skill work, but also moments of connection and active music making that build and collaborate with each other. And it is so much based on that relationship. It Mm -hmm. takes months to build rapport and build that connection. Then there's skill work. Like I have a client I've worked with, uh, most of my clients I've worked with for four to six years at this point, just like Noel, we've been doing this for a while and been so lucky to retain a lot of my original caseload. Mm -hmm. And I have a a client who's moving away. So if you're listening to this parent, I miss you. Um, And, you know, I'm having a meeting with their next music therapist. And I want to be clear that I really think you should throw my goals out the window and put them on pause for a couple months while you create a connection with this person, because the beauty of the work that we do and the strides that this individual has made is because of the foundation of relationship we've created. Yeah. And yes, I know it's really important to transfer those skills because that skill cannot only happen with me in therapy. I am but the vessel in the container. So my goal is not to be the reason that happens. I'm the start of the reason and now transfer that to you. And I absolutely think another therapist can do it. But creating that connection is going to push that person to achieve Mm -hmm. more and do more. And that transfer is happening. One of our predominant areas of focus and one of my specialties is on communication skills and using music to access language through Mm -hmm. those alternate neural roots, roots in the brain to facilitate that connection. And this individual communicates across the board with everyone, but it started with us that he was able to access language in a way that he had not been able to previously access in our sessions. And it does transfer over, but it came from purposeful, meaningful connection and rapport building first, then skill acquisition, then transfer of those skills. So there is a long process. And as we said on the previous podcast, nothing just happens. It's a train that goes round and round and all about, and it's working with people who are ever changing and ever growing and ever learning new things in their natural environment. So it really takes time to sometimes see the fruition of this too. And I think that's a big misconception of music therapy is that it doesn't work because it's through music. And it's just like any therapy, everything takes time. And I only have 30 to 60 minutes once per week with you. Mm -hmm. That's going to just take some time. So I, yep. I think, yeah, that's, that's a hard one. that gets and, hit me. <laughs> and so here, so here's a last one, Sarah, cause you asked one question that we've been going on about for, I don't even know the better part of half an hour. And that's, if you give Alyssa and I a microphone, that is what's going to happen. So sorry guys, this happened tomorrow. I'm seeing for the very first time, a really little guy who in, in the school setting, whose goal on the IEP is related to just developing some like functional coping strategies, severe um, emotional dysregulation is happening. We go from really elated and happy to incredibly upset, frustrated to the point where, you know, self-harm and harm to others is, is sort of a part of their equation. So as I was looking through their IEP, and IEP is an individualized education plan, it's pretty much a massive document that the special education team and a special education program is responsible for writing out who is this person, what's meaningful to them, what are we working on, what are their areas that they benefit from more support. 
as I was reading through, I'm always looking for preferences and strengths because I'm a strength-based therapist. I'm like, let's start with what you love and what makes you tick. This kiddo loves pizza. So do I. This kiddo loves magnetiles. So do I. I'm bringing both. And we are creating a song tomorrow, our first time meeting together, called Big Breath Pizza, where we're making a pizza out of magnetiles. And every time we take a slice, we're going to talk about like, what does that big breath look like? And we're going to have fun and we're going to exaggerate all the different sounds of our breath. But that's just an example of like, you take what little bits you have and the therapy is like how you come together to bring those parts of who we all are and like celebrate what makes him him. And all of the quirkiness and all of the silliness and all of the fun, it, we're going to have a blast. We're probably going to spend the whole 30 minute session building this big breath pizza because let's, let's be honest, like Courtney and Sarah, you're probably like, I want to build a big breath pizza. Like, <laughs> right. I want to eat it. What does it taste like? I want all the pizza all the time. <laughs> big breath pizza. So, um, I think, I think just being any kind of therapist, you have to be creative even if you're not a creative arts therapist, like Sarah, I'm sure you're like, oof, this is a situation I was not expecting. Like I'm going to, I'm going to dig deep and I'm going to respond from this place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. And I, and I'm thinking it's, it's interesting too, because I've been thinking as you're talking, like there are times I am a very creative person. I'm a very artistic person and music specifically is something that speaks to me as just an individual, like most people. Um, and Oh, I, I like that phrase that you just said, Sarah, like most people, which is why music therapy is so important because we have music access to love it. Yes. yes. I mean, it's yes. And, and so there have been, there have been moments or times or situations within the therapy that I do where we will use music as a tool for communication. Um, not so much, again, these are, these are like, these are not neurodivergent individuals. These are not children. These are adults. Um, but so like lyric analysis. Or, right. Right. On communication as well. Like lots of adults have really terrible communication styles. And um, sometimes it's really hard to, be able to effectively communicate certain things. And so there have been many times that I've used different mediums, but music seems to be the one that resonates with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, and it's easier because we can do it right there. Like I don't need them to get a canvas and like paint something or whatever. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, it's interesting that I have in the past used music to facilitate the therapy that I'm doing, but I'm still, I'm not doing music therapy because what I'm hearing from you okay. guys is that it's a very different it's it's it is a it is a modality it's it's the it's the use of certain kinds of tools and ideas and theories applied to very real life everyday situations that people struggle struggle to navigate um mm -hmm. but it but it's we're we're getting to the same goal in a lot of cases but we're mm -hmm. we're getting there in a very different way is what it sounds yes. like Yes. And yep. I think you learned that and summarized it so beautifully in 42 minutes. Sarah, I'm <laughs> incredibly proud. Yeah. And one of the main differences that as music therapists, we're mindful of at all times is music is not proprietary to music therapists. So I know a lot of music therapists are probably listening to this podcast and hopefully a lot of non-music therapists. 
you're allowed to use music. It we don't own music. You have the rights to use music to access whatever skills you're looking at. The difference yep. with music therapists is we're using music as the therapy and other modalities are using music in therapy. So we're using the musical components, our musical logic in tandem with those other pillars that we talked about to facilitate the goals. And that's the main caveat and main difference. Can you do a breathing song? Absolutely. Are you as an experienced clinician and trained musician knowing how to manipulate those elements to facilitate the brain body behaviors that you're trying to connect? No. And that's okay. Cause sometimes people stumble on something and I'm like, dang, that's amazing. I'm going to take that. But I think that's also the difference between when I was listening to Noah's personal space song, the difference between like a music therapist and Sesame street, because Sesame street has so many great psychoeducational songs. They're wonderful. I'll use them in therapy and then I'm using them in a different way to really facilitate mm -hmm. the skill. Uh, but Noah and I are big proponents of original music composition mm -hmm. because I am structuring every element of the rhythm, the melody, the harmony, the force that I'm playing with. So how hard I'm strumming, the tempo, the speed that I'm using. What instrumentation am I using? Am I using guitar? Am I using piano? Am I using just my voice and percussion because I'm using the rhythm as my primary element? I'm being mindful about all of these components and how they're facilitating that response. And when you get a good music therapist who knows all of those things, the difference is substantial. And the way we explain it to others, like the way Noah and all of us are connecting on it, you get it. When we say this is what we're doing, it's very clear and understanding. So mm -hmm. I think, I mean, hopefully uh, you're wrong about NPR's podcast picks this up. You're wrong about music therapy. This can be the we're right about it. <laughs> hey, yes. and again, like we, Alyssa and I have a very specific background that is, that is pretty aligned. And the work that we do now is, is also pretty aligned. Music therapists work in hospitals, music therapists work in senior care facilities, music therapists work in um, inpatient and outpatient psych. I mean, we're, we're kind of anywhere and everywhere. And of course, the scope of our work changes depending on the environment, right? Sure, there's a skill-based component in inpatient and outpatient psych, but that looks really different. That looks really, really, really different. So every, every one of us that are board-certified music therapists have the same general set of training, knowledge, and skills. And then depending on the settings where we do our internships, which are typically six to nine months before we can sit for our certification exam, usually guides us in one direction or another. It helps us to realize what, what is the focus of the work we want to do? What are those populations that we're really passionate about? But I think recognizing that just like talk therapy or like ABA therapy, there's a lot of variation in what it looks like depending on that person that's sitting in front of you that is coming to you for therapy. And I think when a therapist of any kind is really rigid and says, this is what I do and this is what I don't do, I don't know that that's really serving anyone in that equation. I can tell you that populations that I don't feel as comfortable working with or that I don't prefer, I would probably say traditional mental health is, is not a population that I prefer or that I feel most comfortable. Have I worked in that population? Yes. Could I functionally serve that population? 
Yes. But we've talked about how when you're not passionate about something, yes. that, that's felt. So do I think that we owe it to ourselves as clinicians to work in populations that we feel really connected to? Also, yes, because it really creates that unique and special and meaningful connection. And I think the key there too, because Sarah, you said it on our last episode, which chronologically, I do believe the listeners heard it in the previous episode, that so much of what you know as a clinician, you learned in those internships and in your first few years on the job. And I think there's a level of training that goes into every therapeutic modality, and it's very, very important. But your biggest training and finding out where you're going to drill down who you're going to serve, what skill areas you're going to focus on, how you're going to support the individuals that you care about comes in those first few years because you really have to work in the populations. Because just like traditional talk therapy, there is a broad scope of people that psychotherapists and LCSWs and LCPCs, so many acronyms, refer to the acronym podcast that we will record that you will now be able to hear. Uh, there's so many individuals we can support through this work, but then you really do end up kind of focusing on where you love it and where you thrive to drill down how you access those skills through that modality. And that's where music therapy gets a lot of flack. And I don't know how many listeners know this. I'm going to pull Courtney in because she's been sitting and observing so beautifully. Yes, I was going to say, we need to hear Courtney. So Courtney has an undergrad degree in music therapy and ended up not going into the field. And I fully support that. She's one of my best friends in the whole world. That is totally okay that she didn't. But I think one of the reasons too is coming out of your training, you felt like it was so broad and so maybe not clear to you how this would work for you or what this would look like. And that that is a hard part of music therapy because there's so many ways it can go. But I'll let you chime in. I'm putting words in Courtney's mouth. She's her own person. <laughs> yeah, no, I that was like a perfect segue segue because I was gonna jump in and and start that conversation. I loved everything about my undergrad. I loved everything about learning about music therapy. I had experiences with the mental health population, with pediatrics, and with um, the elderly population as well as part of my training. And then I went on to complete my internship. I think we talked about this, right? I met Alyssa at a therapeutic day school specifically for autistic people. And so I, I, I loved my internship, but I don't think I loved it because of the music therapy aspect I loved it because I loved connecting with all of the students that I was working with. And I feel like I might have said this in a previous episode, but that's actually where I learned about ABA. And that's yes. where I worked yep. with my first BCBA. And I was like, actually, I think this is the route that I want to go. So, I mean, funny that you were saying that, Alyssa. Like, I, my internship helped guide me to where I was supposed to go. Yeah. validating the population that I wanted to work with, yes, but not the field that I wanted to be in. Um, yeah. And I think one of my biggest worries in really feeling like, am I going to sit for the board certification music therapy exam? Am I not? What am I going to do? I was always surrounded by um, 
really successful music therapists and those successful music therapists I'm drawing a blank right now on some other names but I would use a lot of their music when I was doing my internship um but they were all business owners and that was scary to me I was like mm. it was Rachel Rambach I'm sure thank you Rachel, yes if you're listening hello yeah. Rachel yes yes <laughs> I use a lot of I, I use a lot of your stuff Rachel um and I loved it <laughs> I think I still get your emails to this day, actually. Um, but so that was that was scary to me. I was like, mm, I know for sure I don't ever want to own my own business. Um, I also knew, you know, the average salary of a music therapist in Illinois at that time. And I don't want to bring like salaries into this, but at the no, same time, it's, it's, valid. it's scary. And it was, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't, I don't think that I love this this much to want to, advocate for myself in you know making more money or being more successful or starting my own business and that was you know as I was kind of like thinking about this topic that we're going to be talking today that was one of the questions that I had is like I mean unfortunately but fortunately we have two very successful music therapists here who own their own business but like do you both really think like can you be truly successful in the form of having good training having a great experience in the environment that you're working in and making a pretty good salary like do you guys think you can actually be a successful music therapist encompassing those three things and probably more than I'm missing but without owning your own business like how would you guys feel if you were working for someone else would it be the same would it be the same you know well I I I, I try to walk that talk um because I think the reason why you left and I apologize if you're hearing any background noises as well my husband's being so so kind and cooking me a delicious dinner so if you're hearing sizzling that is my wonderful wonderful partner helping me out for the evening um but I think as a business owner that is a critical component for me to provide sustainable access to quality opportunities in your work environment, work that resonates with you and brings you joy, and work that also brings you the money that you need to live with flexibility to have a work-life balance. Now, there is a cap, I think, across the board on therapist salaries, right? And I'm if people are curious, I am happy to talk numbers. Feel free to email me. I think hiding your salary is the biggest disservice we do to everyone, and it happens in female-dominated industries predominantly, and that is just silly. So this should be an open dialogue. Feel free to email me personally. Um, but absolutely, I think we can. Uh, it's just a matter of business owners operating from that space of how much are we giving versus how much are we getting, really being mindful about our employees, having those conversations and dialogues, looking at the cost of living in your area, and then billing accordingly. And the main barrier to that access that Courtney is really hitting the nail on the head of why we lose people um, is it's not billable through insurance, which is so frustrating. I did a reel about it, the just makes sense reel, where you're like, these things make sense. It's an evidence-based practice proven. The National Clearinghouse on Autism specifically uh, listed it as an evidence-based practice for autistic individuals. It has two scientific peer-reviewed journals. It has 160-degree programs across the U.S., same guidelines of training, hours, clinical work, and expertise needed and board certification exam that most therapy modalities have. Our biggest barrier is we are an undergrad level entry. 
And so that makes insurance companies kind of back away and licensure from different states go, oh, you're not qualified. Whereas I'd say we are even more qualified. We went through four years of nonstop music therapy training in undergrad, and then a six to 12 month internship, depending on if you're full-time or part-time, six practicum rotations, the board exam that we have to sit for, the level of expectations set across the board for AMTA. But that access to insurance billing is what's crushing us because we can't necessarily bill clients that out-of-pocket rate that they're getting, which we talked about in the ABA podcast and behaviorism podcast previously, you know, you're able to bill tens of thousands of dollars a year to insurance for these individuals. And I'm over here begging a family to pay $100 an hour I know. for services. And that just makes me so frustrated. And I've talked with some of my I agree. friends <laughs> too. Like, I don't get it. Like, I, it is, it is just completely unfair. It is completely unfair. And there are so many people who know that music therapy deserves to be reimbursed. So many hours of it deserves to be reimbursed by insurance. Same with speech and OT because theirs is very limited as well. They're Yes, they're being reimbursed, but it is limited. Yeah. And it Oh, just, they just cut how much, so I mean, SLPs are reimbursed here. It's $99 an hour. And the you know, flip side of that coin too, is we spend a lot of money to get these degrees and advanced certifications and to be the experts in our field, right? My goal is to go through a doctorate. That's literally a million dollars worth of education at this point between my undergrad master's and, you know, a PhD program. If I don't get a TA ship because I care so much about providing this back to the community I serve. Mm -hmm. And it is insane that people who are that qualified, even if I have a PhD, I still can't bill, which is absolutely insane. Um, so I do think it's possible. I think we're making strides. Illinois, our our licensure bill, I don't want to jinx it, passed Senate and is going to the House. And I'm really, really cautiously optimistic that we'll have licensure. Uh, but Noah lives in a state where they have licensure and she's not billing for insurance either. No. So it's... That is a huge barrier to the financial burden that we hold as therapists because we need to make enough to live and we can't just rely on our partners and the burden on our families to pay out of pocket for something they know is so beneficial to them. But 400 bucks a month is a lot. $100 an hour, one hour a week. That's a lot. That's a lot to ask of somebody. And honestly, Courtney, this is a conversation I had with one of my partners today. Uh, we... We've been open for eight years and we have grown far larger than I, than I want to even say we had thought was possible, let alone in eight years, having a team of 20 people, we've had to figure out a lot about owning a business with the three owners not having business degrees. It has been a steep learning curve. We have made a lot of wrong decisions. I will be the first to say it. We have made some wrong decisions along the way. And um, we're still figuring that out. I, I, I agree that music therapists are not paid what they're worth. I don't want to be the one contributing to that. But the the challenge is also that... When music therapists are, when music therapy students are graduating from their programs, their professors are saying, you shouldn't get out of bed in the morning unless you're paid X. 
Some of these professors have been out of the field for a really long time. They are perpetuating expectations that are perhaps not commensurate with the realities of the profession. These guys are entering the field expecting something that the reality can't deliver. I just did a lecture this past weekend at one of the local colleges for their student association, and my presentation was called Interviewing Skills for the Contemporary Music Therapist. But it was actually a hybrid of like, how to prep for your interview, and then it sort of took this turn into like negotiating your salary and identifying what you need based off of some like really concrete criteria. And some of the feedback that I got from some of the students that went is, oh, I didn't really think about the employer's perspective. I didn't know these things about what goes into setting a salary. I didn't know where the money is coming from. I gave an example of Spectrum offers fully school-based music therapist positions. Your only job is to go into schools and do music therapy. Here in New York State, we have BOCES, which is the Board of Cooperative Educational Services, which are giant government-run educational establishments who also have music therapists. If you looked at my job offer through my private practice, and you looked at BOCES job offer as a government-run institution, the salaries are going to look really different. And for those of you that can't see me because this is a podcast, my hand is far up, much higher for BOCES, whereas Spectrum's hand is way lower to reflect the discrepancy in salaries. Why? Because the funding streams are different. BOCES is getting money from the government, which I know we all complain government jobs do not pay enough, and I'm sure that is the case. However, try then also being a private practice. For private practice, I can't out, I can't out, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't outprice my client base because they're private paying. Insurance is not paying for what we do. I have to set a certain rate. I'd love to also give my employees raises, but that means I have to raise my rates, which I can't do because then we just lose our clients altogether. Whereas with government things, that that lever goes up with inflation, right? All of those other realities that my private practice can't follow that trend at the same time. Those are things I would have never thought about as an employee. Never, never. Why? Because it's not a me problem. But when we start to recognize, actually, it is a you problem because you need this information to make an informed decision, we are empowering the workforce of today to make decisions that work well, work well for them and not sign up or agree to a job that they're going to regret three months in. And then, ooh, your clients are suffering. You're suffering. Most importantly, this is not a good relationship. So to go back to the original question, music therapists do not get what they are worth in terms of their pay. There's a lot of confounding variables that contribute to that. And business owners like myself who run private practices, we're doing what we can. But there are some serious limitations that feed into like meeting that reality that I totally agree. Every one of my employees deserves to get paid more. 
I'm figuring out how to make that happen while keeping the lights on, paying for employment, uh, for um, employee taxes, right? Like all the stuff that goes into having employees. I don't know how to balance that better. (laughs) I I don't ever want to hear anyone complain about taxes ever. I'm like, if you knew as business owners, how much gets taken out of my personal paycheck, then how much I pay every month. I'm always like, oh, God, God, tax Mm -hmm. time. Um, And it's going to places hopefully for the, the greater good. And I support that. But Yes, I I think there are jobs set at a silver lining as we end this podcast too. (laughs) There's hospital jobs, there's big school jobs, there's a lot of them. And every one and their mother, grandmother, great grandmother is hiring right now. I mean, it Mm -hmm. is an employee market. No one I know very well. We have the same people (laughs) applying for our open positions. It's hysterical. Um, We won't reveal your names, but- you know, it's like, oh my goodness, like these people, it is just, it's an employee's game. So I think, I mean, if you're coming out as a music therapist, now's your time because there's lots of full-time jobs available. 2022. Mm-hmm. 2022. I don't know about you. That's your year. Um, So I think yes, but it is about being creative. And at the end of the day, what, what Courtney chose to do too, if you don't love it, it is not because mm-hmm. you can make that salary doing a lot of other pretty basic entry level things in corporate America. So, if this is not something that moves your soul and you think about all the time, Courtney said on one of the podcasts, Alyssa does this research all the time and she's always listening to these things. I mean, I'm obsessed with what I do. I will devote every second of my living being to the work that I do. It moves me to my core. Um, now you don't have to be as psychotic as me. That's really okay. But if you're not empowered to do this work, it is not the work for you because there is not some exceptional financial benefit to it. You can go be someone's administrative assistant for a pretty comparable salary. Yeah. I was going to say, could everyone on this podcast chime in about this statement? Helping professions does not set your bank account on fire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I yes. don't know. Amy, Amy does a pretty okay job out out of all of them. <laughs> is your is your is your bank account on fire? Is it like ooh, ooh, oh, or is it like not on fire? But... <laughs> We're doing just fine. Right. And I will say, as a music therapist, we are also doing just fine. I think, mm-hmm. and and we do have to wrap it up. So I'm sure we'll do a whole finance episode, y'all, for people who are looking at this as any therapy business owner I know but I also think you know budgeting and and 21st century money management is really key that you are in charge of your financial destiny yes Yes. let's go yeah let's do it uh so yeah I I agree with Noah thank you for giving us the mic and this time to really share about what we do and what we're passionate about and it's wonderful to share that with people we love and care about who are listening and asking such thoughtful questions. I hope as listeners, if you didn't know about music therapy, you have a a little bit clearer picture of what that might look like through the lens that Noah and I operate with. But also if you're a music therapist, I hope some of those nuggets give you advocacy tools for yourself to explain what it is that you can use this episode as a referral for families that are reaching out to you that say, well, what the heck is music therapy? Send them this episode to give them a little bit of that taste. I think learning how to pitch ourselves is also key across the board as therapists. Uh, 
so I have yeah, a question. That, guys. Any last thoughts? Oh, <laughs> did we did we sip some? Did we spill some? Did we share some? Or did we do all three? Courtney, you're up first. <laughs> oh, putting me on the spot. I yes, feel I like I don't. I feel like we did a spill and share. Yeah, combo. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was a spill and share. My still share. I feel like I was sipping because I was taking in, I was consuming the Take knowledge. Yeah. As for our previous I was episode, it in. I was drinking it. it in. I'll leave those sound effects to you. I don't know <laughs> yeah, that that's totally something listen. I'm really thrilled about doing on the Sarah. Microphone. Before um, this episode said, I'm not doing sound effects. I've listened to myself <laughs> in previous episodes, and I'm muting myself. And I'm Alyssa not... and I said, and Courtney, but we love your sound effects. And she said, no, no, no I'm not doing no. sound effects. <laughs> no. So if you I hear Sarah quiet now on. Personal space. Personal space. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think that's going to be the closeout for this one. Personal space. Oh, personal space. Hey. Yeah. Hey. It's Please don't give us podcast space. Please share with your friends <laughs> and bounce us up those charts. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Share wherever you can. Spill wherever you can. Sip on your favorite thing. And we'll see you next time for some more coffee and therapy. Therapy. Hey, hey. Therapy. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Coffee and Therapy. Keep the conversation flowing and follow us over on Instagram at Coffee and Therapy. Questions? Thoughts? Ideas? Email us, coffeeandtherapy at gmail.com. We can't wait for you to listen in again soon.